Welcome to Everyone Loved It But Me. My name is Lisa Hedger. I'm a freelance writer and editor in Central Ohio. Each week I talk to a guest who has a different opinion on a super popular book, hence the name Everyone Loved It But Me. We don't book bash, but we will talk about a book in great detail. Today we're discussing the very popular book Untamed, a memoir by Glennon Doyle. And we're going to take a deep dive and chat about this book. Please keep in mind there are adult themes and some curse words sprinkled throughout this episode. Be sure to stay tuned for the end of the show, which is one of my favorite parts where we turn Everyone Loved It But Me upside down. We talk about a couple books, Everyone Hated It But Me. These are some books that myself or my guests have really enjoyed. Now, on to the show. Today, my guest is Kirsten Planner, who is president of FICOM Partners, a public relations firm with a focus on financial services, where she runs the company. She is also an adjunct instructor at Columbia University for the Strategic Communication Graduate Degree. She spent the majority of her career in financial services and corporate communications public relations. She began her career in news with NBC News of the United Nations and CNBC. Kirsten, Welcome to the show. Thanks, Lisa. I'm happy to be here. Yes, I'm so excited that you're here. And I think you have such an interesting bio to be <laughs> candid. <laughs> I think it is It's so cool. Oh, you're very kind. I, actually, when you, when you were reading it, I was like, who is she talking about? I'm like, oh, this is me. Oh, <laughs> like, it sounds like a little bit more, you know, I guess robust than I, you know, when I write it myself. But no, thank you. I appreciate it. Yes. No, I, th- I think you've done a lot of really cool things. I almost wanted to ask you about the United Nations, but for, and maybe we'll get into that. But first, we, we're here yeah. to talk about a very popular book, Untamed, which came out at the start of the pandemic in March 2020. So I want to give just a little brief synopsis for anybody who, who somehow hasn't heard about it. So this book is a memoir by Glennon Doyle, who had written Love Warrior, which was an Oprah book club book, and Carry On Warrior, and was really known as a Christian mommy blogger who delved into parenting and and topics of faith. But Untamed is is pretty different from those other two books. She looks at how she navigated her eating disorder, her alcohol addiction, her husband's infidelity, and ultimately how she fell in love with former soccer star Abby Wambach. She feels like she's finally living her true self and really talks a great deal about empowering her children, raising them in a blended family, and not following social norms. And I want to give another you know warning. I mentioned this in the introduction, but that Untamed really tackles some difficult subjects. And Kirsten and I, we can't talk about this book without bringing up some of these topics. So Kirsten, obviously you're on. Everyone loved it but me, but I I know you didn't hate it. So, you know, tell me about when you learned about the book, why you decided to read it, and and kind of what you thought of it overall. Yeah, no, so I I think that is an interesting distinction, is, is that I didn't love it, but I definitely didn't hate it, but I definitely was not, like, into it. So when this book was recommended to me, I had folks say, oh my goodness, you know, when you read this book, it's going to change your life. You know, I just thought it was amazing and Glennon was so real. And, you know, I was like, fantastic. You're in the midst of a global pandemic, man. I'm looking for anything that's going to uplift my soul and help me find myself and help me get in touch with whatever it is I'm lacking during the COVID time. And so when I read it, I was a little like, ah, this is interesting. Not quite what I thought, but also I, I want to say that, like, I think that part of my hesitation with it was is that I feel like part of the realness of Glennon is, is that, you know, her authentic self is, you know, the struggle, you know, she mm-hmm. struggles. And I do feel like this book, even the way she wrote it, really illustrates that struggle. So in one sense, I'm like, okay, I really understand. And I want to give her a lot of credit because the struggle is real for all of sure. us, right? Yeah. There's yeah. so much that we're going through. But I also felt like in that struggle and in that realness, you know, she had kind of like a little bit of like schizophrenia, like, you know, in terms of what she was saying and some of her messaging. And she'd make a point in one chapter, but then contradict it in another. And I was like, 
wait, what am I supposed to believe here? Or maybe this is like, you know, just a different day, a different point of view. So for me, it was, it was interesting. And I definitely acknowledge and respect her struggle and her journey, but it didn't speak to me. So like right. I said, I didn't, I didn't hate it, but I certainly didn't love it. Uh, and I also think that's a really interesting point that you brought up, Kirsten. When someone tells you a book changed their life, you're going into it with high expectations. But you know, a book like this, I think that if it gives you insight and it helps you maybe clarify some of your thoughts or maybe give you some ideas. That's great. But I think in terms of life changing, right. like, yeah, that is, right. a pr- that is a pretty big label. I mean, you can't really come back from that. You know, <laughs> once someone declares that you've changed their lives. Right, um, right, absolutely. Yeah. So one of my first takeaways, now I have friends as well who said, you must read this book, Lisa, it is amazing. And essentially said they felt like it, it had changed their life too. And it really made them feel heard. And so for me, and this is one of the first things I want to talk about too, what was the the format, right? So for me reading it, it was a little hard because for anyone who has not read this book, it does not have a, a traditional beginning, middle, or end, right? It goes by the name Untamed. So she tells these separate anecdotal chapters. It reminded me of, you know, a national columnist like a Dave Barry or Mike Rorico. If you read one of their books, you could open it to page 200 and you'd read a thousand word piece column and then the next one is completely different. Now when I read this book the second time I definitely think and felt there was more connective tissue but literally I feel like you could you could open it up at page 85 and and read a chapter and then the next chapter and they're all different. They're all different anecdotal and lots of metaphors. Glennon is a big, big metaphor person. I do want to illustrate and and show you just some quick facts that this is a very popular and beloved book. So this was just released, like you mentioned, Kirsten, at the start of the pandemic, March 10th, 2020. In less than 20 weeks, it sold a million copies. (laughs) And as of February 2021, it has sold 2 million. Certainly, I think a I know it got on Reese Witherspoon's um, book club choice. You and I are recording this in the summer of 2021, and all the listeners will get to hear this in the fall. So as I'm speaking right now, it's been on the New York Times bestseller list for 63 weeks. So how much do you think the pandemic, do you think that was something that caused this book to get more attention? I mean, I definitely think the pandemic had something to do with it. I mean, she was a very beloved and followed writer, you know, before the pandemic. So I don't want to say, oh, yeah, the pandemic totally made this book, you know, the New York Times bestseller list. So she had a pretty steady following, but I think the pandemic definitely gave a lot of folks some pause about who am I, what am I, where am I, like, you know, where's my life going and like, you know, a lot of self-reflection. And so I think that, you know, I would say that like the book was probably going to be a success no matter Mm -hmm. what because of her following. But I think that COVID and, you know, I mean, a combination of the fact that there was probably so much soul searching in of itself, but also we were literally trapped like rats at home. Yes. You know, we had nowhere to go. Yes. So what do you do? You you know, let's, let's read some books, you know, (laughs) let's, you know, try to, you know, fill some time. And as a mom, a working mom, Mm -hmm. I actually just was looking for a little bit of a, a mental escape, you know, someplace yes. where I could go and sit on the sofa. My husband, after my daughter went to bed, my husband watched TV and was like, all right, I'm going to read my book. Okay, Kirsten, what did you think of the format? Did you like that format that kind of bounced all over the place from chapter to chapter? Well, I think it's just very Glennon. Like, I yeah. think that it's yeah. very real and very mm-hmm. authentic. And that is something I will give the book a lot of credit for, is, is that she was very raw in it. Yes. You know, it wasn't like she was necessarily trying to be someone else or trying mm-hmm. to make her life seem all rosy. And I think, you know, right. when we were talking about the book initially, that's one of the things we were saying was, is that, okay, you know, so she is who she is, but you know, maybe that's a little bit to do with why I wasn't so crazy about the book. Because like I said, she'd have one chapter where she'd say something and be really emphatic or be making a case, you know, for something. And then the next chapter, she would kind of undo it. And like, even one example of that is, is that there was one chapter when she had a fan who had gone to one of her talks and had said, you know, Glennon, like, you seem so happy and you seem so balanced. And I feel like I don't relate to you and she was like yeah because I am happy and I am balanced yes, and I was like yes oh, 
I was like, wait a second. I just read a couple hundred ta- a couple hundred pages of you basically saying how you know your life is like upside down and all this chaos and how we're all broken, but we're not broken. And I'm like, wait a second. What? Who are you? And what are you? And yes. You know, what, like, and, but but then I realized that you know she probably wrote that chapter on a particular day sure. and she was feeling a particular way. And maybe sure. in hindsight, she's like, yeah, I do have it together but that's kind of also you know she's not perfect but then like there's also this one part where she says I am flawless unbroken there's no other way I'm haunted by nothing and I'm like I don't know I'm pretty sure you're haunted by a lot (laughs) which is why you wrote this book so I think that those are it's like those things where I'm just a little like Ah, okay. I guess I think I'm following you and I'm getting to know you, but I'm not quite identifying with it. So I think those were some of the parts where it lost me. It, you know, I think there was this declaration of we're not perfect. I'm like, totally get that. We're not. But then she's like, I'm flawless. I'm like, yes. I'm not quite sure that's what you mean, but okay. Okay. That's, I'm glad that's how you feel right now. That's, that's, I, Kirsten, I think those are some really good points. And I was trying to look up, um, you know, some thought pieces and I had found one from the Seattle times that they wrote in March of 2020, uh, saying with the headline untamed inspirational or heavy handed, which brings up your point. Exactly. And I'm going to put this in the show notes. So it said agency is essential in untamed. The ability to trust oneself is, according to Glennon Doyle, the key to so-called freedom. But there are things individuals can do and things they can't, often based on outside constraints. Doyle swings between recognizing this and then insisting that women have everything they need inside them often overusing the words power, freedom, knowing, and self. Untamed reads like a self-help book for wealthy white women when it treads lightly into the complex territories of race, privilege, misogyny, and capitalism, it boomerangs back to the tired language of every affirmation book ever written. I am fireproof. Life is brutal. To be brave is to forsake all others to be true to yourself. And that's essentially kind of what, what you were saying, right? So Yes. And it's so funny. So like, you know, that's, you know, that description is what I'm saying, but it, self-help for, for wealthy women. So ironically, I bought the hard copy of the book at a bookstore in Sag Harbor, which of course is in the Hamptons. And when I went in and I was like looking for it and I asked, you know, the, um, the storekeeper, I said, Oh, I'm looking for untamed. And she showed it to me. And I asked her, I said, what kind of book is this? And she was like, uh, kind of like fancy self-help. I was like, fancy self-help. Okay. I guess, you know, I, like I wasn't, I didn't even know what that meant. I was like, fancy self-help. <laughs> and, but it was so funny because like that description, I'm kind of like, yeah, that actually sounds interesting. Um, but it's, it's also, there's also this one other section too, where we talk, you know, she's going, she goes back and forth. There's this dichotomy. Mm-hmm. And like I use the word schizophrenia early on and obviously not as like a, a technical right. medical term. Right. It's more right. of like, you know, to like say like, you know, she kept going back and forth, but there's this one part in the book where I was just like, this is why actually I was like, I, I think, I think I'm done. I, I'm not sure I can <laughs> identify with this book is, is that, um, she goes, I do not adjust myself to please the world mm. i am myself wherever i am and i let the world adjust and i was like okay <laughs> i was like i don't know who you are but you must be able to just you know live your best life because that is not the way Correct. the world works yes and i'm sorry i think that's why most people are so unhappy now because you know they expect like okay i'm gonna be me and let the world adjust i'm like no we live in a society for a reason like you know we there are social norms and there's certain things and i in a way i actually i actually thought she was you know propagating like this ideal that just isn't realistic Mm -hmm. you know and maybe it is for her right right yeah, or for like you know, if it's wealthy, you know, wealthy <laughs> self-help for wealthy women, I'm like, well, I mean, I think that probably is a little heavy-handed to say that, mm-hmm. but I I do think that there's some parts in it, and I'm like, no, no, I'm sorry, like that that that's not realistic, and yes. you know, Glennon, like if that's you, you do you, but sure. for the rest sure. of us, sorry, no, we we actually have to um, adjust with the world. We don't let the world adjust to us. So it's cool. things like that, yeah. That I'm yes. like. Hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think she's in a very different position, right, financially. So when she got her divorce, she was able to leave her husband. She was able to have a lovely, safe home and go on to her life. Not everyone can do that. 
So we have to bring up how it opens this book. It opens with this cheetah metaphor. So she and her family are at the zoo and they're describing a Labrador retriever named Minnie chases this little pink bunny. Then it's the cheetah's Tabitha's turn, and as her reward, she bolts after this little bunny, and she gets the steak. Then we get to see Glennon, how she reacts. And actually, Glennon imagines having a pretend conversation with the cheetah, which I actually personally loved. Um, I was like, oh, it's not just me who has pretend conversations with animals. So she says, uh, she imagines Tabitha saying to her, I went to sleep under an ink black silent sky filled with stars. It's all so real, I can taste it. Then she would look back at the cage, the only home she's ever known. She'd look at the smiling zookeepers, the bored spectators. And her panting, bouncing best friend, the lab, she'd sigh and say, I should be grateful. I have a good enough life here. It's crazy to long for what doesn't exist. And I'd say, Tabitha, you are not crazy. You are a goddamn cheetah. So <laughs> this story has resonated with a lot of people. It did not probably resonate with me quite in the same way. What did you think, Kirsten? Yeah, it definitely did not resonate with me in that same way. Because first of all, how does she know what the cheetah's thinking? <laughs> like, I'm sorry. Like, no. But I, so, and this is another thing that I think that I, maybe, I would even go as far as to say I resented this because you know, oh. she was looking at the animal mm -hmm. and assuming that the mm -hmm. animal was resentful of a situation. Be like, oh yeah, you're a cheetah. You should be out running, you know, in the bush and like, you know, in your natural habitat. And how often do we look at each other and kind of have pity to be like, oh, you know what? it's too bad that you couldn't have this better life or, yeah. you know, that you put yourself in this position. And in the meantime, it's like, maybe that person, like, that's what they want. Mm -hmm. Like, that's what they prefer. Like, they've chosen that, that that is them living their life. And who are we, you know, to judge anybody for their decisions or, you know, their position? Right. Um, right. Because we're not, we're not them. So, and trust me, like, I'm the whole, like, you know, being in the wild versus being in the zoo, I had to listen to my my daughter when she was in first grade, and we were in the midst of the pandemic, and we had Zoom calls. I heard the teacher actually bring up, like, what is it better for the you know, animal to be in the zoo or in the wild? And all these first graders started going back and forth and debating it. Oh, wow. And the teacher... And the teacher was even trying to like, but are you guys sure? Don't you think you would rather be in the wild? And I was like, lady... First of all, let them make their own decisions. Sure. But second of all, if that's the only home that they've ever known, maybe they are happier there. Maybe mm -hmm. they don't know any better. So I actually feel like this was like this beginning about the cheetah. I get the metaphor, mm -hmm. but also d don't take something and make yourself the center of the conversation. If we're using human beings as the example, there's some people that say, okay, this is what I've chosen. This sure. is like, I own it and I prefer this. And I'm sorry if you think that maybe I should be doing something different, but this is me. So I actually kind of saw it as a parallel for something about how maybe even women look mm -hmm. at each other and mm -hmm. how maybe we judge the way we judge. Oh, um, agree. Yeah. Yeah, so I so the cheetah the cheetah metaphor definitely did not resonate with me. Make up a story all you want, but the cheetah might be super happy living in its <laughs> zoo habitat. And that is really the central her kind of thesis. At one point she writes what follows are stories about how I get caged and how I got free. I think when we had talked offline, you had mentioned religion. You felt like she tackled religion in a really unique way because she's definitely morphed over time on her religious views. What were your thoughts? Well, I don't think it was really my place to, you know, like or dislike. It was more or less that I respected her yes. journey, yes. her spiritual journey. And as someone who was raised as a Christian and, and knowing, you know, some of the more stringent environments and rules and beliefs like it can be really hard so i respect her journey because you know i think in some religious settings whether it's christian mm -hmm. or otherwise you know her being whether she's like you know homosexual or you know bisexual it's just not accepted yes and so she, yeah yes so she had to really step outside mm -hmm. this world that she grew up in that was you know very core to her childhood and go against it and kind of risk everything. And I think that's part of what the book, you know, had made the point of it. You know, she didn't know. She didn't know what was going to happen, how mm -hmm. it was going to happen. But she believed in her heart that it was going to be worth it. 
I definitely respected her spiritual journey, just how she um, struggled with it, but also how she evolved um, with her journey. And I think that like anything, it's a relationship. And so with her, as she was, you know, trying to navigate her own life, you know, her, her spiritual life, you know, was, you know, part and partial to that. So, and there is this one chapter that I, I thought was interesting, but it also kind of underscores where I'm like, okay, like, what are we talking about here? But it's, it's girl gods. And it's like, Oh, I highlighted that too. Go ahead. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yes. like, Glennon, you refer to God as she. Why do you believe that God is female? And then she goes on to say, like, basically, I don't. I think it's ridiculous to think of God as anything that could possibly be gendered. But then she ends it with being that, you know, while the expression of uh, God is male feels perfectly acceptable, you know, and like, but as long as the expression of of God is female is unimaginable, I'll keep using it. Meaning I'll keep using God as a female. So I'm like, so wait a second. You don't think, you think it should, you know, there shouldn't be, um, God shouldn't be gendered, but you're going to keep doing it because, you know, you're just kind of trying to buck the, the social yes, yes. norm and be a feminist. So I, so I, got, I get that. But at the same time, I'm like, all right, or yes. God has no gender. I'm like, whatever. Like, so yeah. I think it was like things like that where I'm like, all right. And maybe you know. she needs to switch her pronoun to they or them, right? Or something. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, oh my gosh, Kirsten, I had highlighted that too. I thought that was so interesting. I, I was a big fan of Gilmore Girls and Lorelai Gilmore always refers to God as she. <laughs> and I, and this, and I highlighted that as well because I thought that was so interesting that she does refer to God as female, but then she, like you said, kind of contradicts herself saying, oh no, we shouldn't focus the gender on God. Well, okay, then we need to either call God it or they or come up with a different word, I guess, or different pronoun. And it's more as like an F you to like the world. It's like, you know, well, I don't believe God has a gender, but because all of you keep calling him a he, like, screw you, I'm going to call her a she. Like, even though I don't think that there's a gender. And I'm like, all right, well, you go show the world by right. calling God a she. Like, that is just one example of her own yes. um, journey and dichotomy, but then also, <laughs> you know, unwillingness to kind of commit to a particular point of view yes. throughout the books. Right. And I think it's really interesting because you're right when we talk about this book and we talk about Glennon Doyle she was very well known had a huge you know Christian following before this book so when she came out and said I am now with a woman she got a lot of criticism that was a very difficult and you know brave thing for her to do so I, I think we should acknowledge that and and she mentions her conflict with religion with as you just said with how not all religions, I know many religious people who don't feel this way, but how some religion does tend to be anti-gay. And, and she brings that up. She said, my evangelical friends insist to me that their opposition to abortion and queerness was born in them. They are sincere and convinced, but I wonder, we all believe our religious beliefs were written on our hearts and in the stars. We never stop to consider that most of the memos we live by were actually written by highly motivated men. I thought that was a really interesting point. I think that's a great point too. I mean, that, so that actually is a uh, part where we talk about the the Bible and like that being written by men. Yeah, it was. Like you know, and <laughs> yes, you know, there's yes. and even my seven year old daughter, she's now coming of age and she's asking questions yes. about equality. We, we're talking about the women's rights movement she was like but why didn't women have rights and so we Mm kind of you know back when and I said well yeah because a lot of the rules and books you know were written by men so there are I think there are a lot of things in here that I'm just like yeah that you know I I actually agree with and I and I actually do like so I had a a brief stint in my youth where I was part of more of an evangelical um, community Mm -hmm. and it was it was you know basically when I first got into college I was looking for another church community and man like they have hard and fast beliefs and it's like pretty like if you don't believe you know certain mm-hmm. things you're going to hell sure it's not even sure. like you know listen we're not gonna associate with you or or whatever you know because i don't think that's very christian either but like it's like you're going to hell so for her yes. to have to come out and basically buck you know a whole whether it's community mm-hmm. or set of friends that have that belief, that that's brave. That that yes. takes a lot of guts. So I give her a lot of credit for that, and that is being true to yourself. Yes, I agree. And you just brought parenting your daughter, and I wanted to, especially when I reread this, 
what did really resonate with me where I thought she really excelled was some of her parenting points. I thought she did a really nice job explaining parenting, doing some really good metaphors. One of my favorites um, is when she talks about the parenting memos. So she uses this analogy about every generation receiving a memo when they have a baby. And that really helps kind of cement the idea of how it's different for you and I who are parents now compared to our parent and grandparents generation. So she says, my grandmother's memo was, here is the baby, take it home and let it grow, let it speak when spoken to, carry on with your lives. My mother's memo was, here's your baby, take her home and then get together every day with friends who have these kind of things, drink tab before four, wine coolers after, smoke cigarettes and play cards. Lock the kids out of the house and let them in to eat and sleep. Lucky bastards. And then here's our memo, right, for you and I who are raising kids now. This is the moment you've been waiting for your whole life when the hole in your heart is filled and you finally become complete. If after I put this child in your arms, you sense anything other than utter fulfillment, seek counseling immediately. And after you hang up right now, call a tutor. And since we've been speaking for three minutes, your child is already behind. Have you registered her for Mandarin classes yet? Uh-oh, poor child. She went on to say that parent is no longer a noun. It's a verb, which means protect, shield, hover, deflect, fix, plan, obsess. And that really resonated with me when I read that. I went, ah, oh, it was kind of an aha moment. Like, oh, this is why it's so stressful. Again, another part that I identify with as well, because yeah, like, you know, parenting, especially like, you know, in this day and age, like it is a lot. I live in New York City and that struggle is real. Mm -hmm. I mean, I remember going to a preschool open house, oh. like, you know, a, priv a private preschool open house. And there was this one mom. And she was like grilling the, the woman about like your gifted and talented acceptance rates, like, you know, all that. And I'm like, you don't let my kid eat Play-Doh, right? <laughs> like if I let the kid go here, I mean, they're going to come home every day not having glue stuck in their hair, right? But this other mom was like, gifted and talented. What are your acceptance rates? Like, you know, what is the ratio? And I'm like, whoa. There is actually a part in the book where I thought this was interesting because it was the part where she was talking about how her daughter wanted to try out for soccer. Yes. And of course, yes. you know, she's married to Abby Wambach. Sure. So sure. she, but, but Glennon wanted to protect her daughter. She yes. was basically like, if it's going to be too hard, let's not do it. And Abby was basically like, chill the F out, sure. sit down, sure. we'll do this. And then her daughter was able to blossom in a way and grow in a way that even Glennon was, hadn't anticipated. So I thought that was actually really refreshing that it yes. wasn't like, I know better for my daughter. It was, okay, I had these anxieties mm -hmm. to protect my child. And it turns out I was wrong. Absolutely. I was wrong. Yes. Yes. And that's hard because it's so, it's so funny you bring that up here. So my husband and I just had a conversation about my son wanting to try out for baseball all-star program. And my husband said, oh, he's not going to make it. And I said, well, if he doesn't try out, he definitely won't make it. And he probably won't make it if he tries out. But if, if he really wants to express interest, then we need to let him do that. But that is something that I think we have definitely struggled with as parents is letting our kids deal with these disappointments. She brought up another metaphor, the cream cheese. I love this one. She got an email from one of her kids' athletic teams about providing breakfast in the morning. And, you know, this is very common. As a swim team, it might be donuts. Another team, they might want Subway. There's some kind of contribution you need to do. So in this case, it was bagels, cream cheese, juice, bananas. And one of the parents then later emails Glennon concerned because there was another parent who had only provided two types of cream cheese. And she instructed Glennon that if you go to this grocery store around the corner, they provide five types of cream cheese. And Glennon said, <laughs> oh my, I am a cream cheese parent. We are cream cheese parents because we haven't stopped to ask. Does having the best of everything make the best people? And, and then she says, uh, five layers of cream cheese is not how to make a child feel loved. Five flavors, I should say flavors, not layers. Five flavors of cream cheese is how to make a child an asshole. I mean, I think so. But then she was also that same parent that wanted to like protect her daughter from failure. Yes. You know, yes. at the same time. Right. And it ended up that the daughter was accepted into the team because she had hustle. You know, she had spirit. And so yes. 
I, but I think that like that's I, the part where I struggle with this book too is this that so she makes up part about the cream cheese. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Sure. Don't give them five cream cheeses. The little bastards will be fine with butter. Like <laughs> yes. you know, let's yes. and hell if they're, if they're really hungry, they'll eat the bagel plain. You yes. Know? So yes. There's yes. that. But but then like. You but know, you know she, she gave them five. You know she did. <laughs> Of course she does. And like, and so she makes the point, but then I'm like, you know, did she give them five? Probably. But then there's also like this part of the book where she's talking about these conditions, anxiety, depression, addiction, Mm -hmm. and how they almost killed her. Yeah. So I appreciate the cream cheese because it's showing like, you know, it's part of the anxiety, right? It's like, oh my gosh, like, I don't, if I don't give these five cream cheese, I'm a failure. But then in that part, she was like, well, screw that. Like, you know, we're making kids assholes Mm -hmm. if we give them all. But then she goes on to say that we don't need to be more pleasant, normal, or convenient. We just need to be ourselves. We need to save ourselves because we need to save the world. And I was like, whoa, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I mean, you had me until we need to save the world. Right, right. I feel like, like that's wait, not realistic. <laughs> no, and I'm sorry, but that's not what I feel like she's talking about during most of this. She you know, talked about how the anxiety that makes it difficult to exist in my own skin makes it difficult to exist in a world where so many people are in so much pain. So I get it. She's saying, I want to help others. But at the same time, you know, she's talking about saving herself and then it quickly morphs into because I have to save everybody. And I'm like, no, I think the worst thing for some women to hear, like, you know, what? let's be empathetic, but yes. let's also, yes. you know, if we're going to, if we are going to save ourselves, I think it, you know, it does start with self-care and not getting mm-hmm. five freaking cream cheeses. It's about, you know, right. you doing you. But then this is, I, but I feel like that's her dichotomy. She'll say yes. that, and she'll be like, but I'm going to go and do this because that's what ex- it is expected of me. Correct. I think we're bringing up some really good examples. And it, it's hard to have kind of a beginning, a middle, end conversation with this book because it is all over the place. She talks a lot about her, her daughter, Tish. Like she brought up the point where Tish didn't want to get her ears pierced and she was scared. And the piercing person tells her to be brave. But Glennon's takeaway is, you know, listen to yourself. And I was talking to a a friend who really likes this book who said, you know, that's great because too often we let other people persuade us to do things that our gut is telling us isn't right. And and that's a nice practical piece of advice. Yes, I, I get that. I think that if there's something you truly do not want to do, do not ever feel bullied or persuaded to do something you do not want to do. Like, I think that that is an important point. But I will also say that, you know, a lot of great things come from hard work. Sure. And sometimes pain is a little bit necessary to grow. Mm -hmm. And so if she wasn't ready for the ear piercing, that is okay. That's different. But I also feel like there is this, so don't be bullied or persuaded to do something you don't want to do. I think that stands true no matter what. But I think the flip side to that too, though, is, and this is like probably getting so much deeper than just like, you know, the ear piercing. I'm like, you know, pain is also inevitable. And like, if you don't want your ears pierced, that's okay. But you know, if you get them pierced, you're going to have that momentary feeling of pain, but then your ears are going to be pierced and is it going to be fun? And I'm not saying, I'm not trying to persuade her daughter in the book to do something different, Yeah, but it's, so I think that there's a one, if you really don't want to do it, don't do it. I went through this with my daughter too. Like she, yeah. Yeah, she had the same thing and, and she was scared. And I said, listen, I said, it's up to you. Yes. I said, it will hurt momentarily. I'm not going to lie. Like, I'm not going to tell you it's going to be something. It's not. Yes. I said, but your, but your ears will be pierced. And I said, what do you want? I said, do you want to avoid the pain and discomfort or do you want to have this, you know, pleasant experience? Mm-hmm. And she, a pleasant experience of having your ears pierced and being able to wear jewelry. And she chose that. Sure. And she like held on to me for dear life, of you know, course. during it. Like yeah. I, she actually had to sit on my lap while she was doing it, but she was so happy afterwards. And so again, I don't mean to project onto Glennon's daughter because that's her own journey. And if she didn't want it, she didn't have to. Sure. But I, but sometimes I also feel like we are telling ourselves and kids like run away from the pain and the mm-hmm. discomfort because it's right. pain and discomfort, as opposed to if you push through the pain and discomfort, you're going to, you might just come out better and stronger and with some kind of reward. Right. And I think that's a very personal thing for everybody. For some people, and this goes back to the cheetah, sure, you know, for some sure. people, they might be like, don't feel bad for me because I'm in the zoo. I prefer to be in the zoo. I'm here. And others are like, yeah, I want to be running free out in the mm-hmm. wild. Like it comes down to you doing you, but also 
encouraging each other, encouraging our children that, you know, it's not just pain, you know, it's also growth and you have to choose what you're willing to suffer pain for and suffer for because at the other end of it, there might be a a great reward or there might be a great Mm -hmm. growth as a result of it. And that's, you know, so I think that, you know, I, so I, I totally respect what she was saying about that. But I also feel like it goes back to that self-protection. I don't want to let them fail. I don't right. want to like you know them to feel yes. any pain. And I'm like, well, kind of like that's why we have a bunch of assholes, you know, right. in like you know corporate America who don't want to do a lot of work. It's because people don't want to be uncomfortable. And well, sometimes being uncomfortable can bring about success. Those are hard topics that she does bring up. And I think when we see these inconsistencies, like you said, that's real because we all have these inconsistencies where we want our kids to, to learn on their own and fail, but you also want to protect them. So it's it's hard, you know? I, I totally agree with you. But I think that if there's anything that this book did, which I, you know, even though it drove me nuts, still re- I still respect that, you know, it was just her journey. I mean, like this yes. Lennon wasn't, yeah. at least from what I can tell, although I know you and I joked when we were speaking offline because like with her previous book and she was promoting her previous book you know pretending that her marriage was all great when it wasn't you know she yes, was you know, yes. like, you know during her other book tours I'm like well I really hope that I can believe Glennon what you're saying here because you weren't as honest during your other book tour right you know about your marriage but I hope that if she is being authentic here that those struggles like you know that um that dichotomy, I think it does live in all of us. And it's funny. So I actually was in Hershey, Pennsylvania this past weekend with my daughter. I, I try to emphasize, you know, okay, so healthy habits, healthy mm-hmm. eating, right. exercise. And, you know, we had been at Hershey all day and we were just eating ourselves into a chocolate oblivion. <laughs> I bet. And, and so what happened was, is that we went to like the ice cream parlor at the end of the day. And I asked my daughter, I said, do you want to split a Sunday? And she was like, well, mama, though, shouldn't we be eating healthy? And I was like, oh, but it's a Sunday and we're here. And she was like, no, I really don't want it. And I was mm-hmm. like, you know, and she was kind of confused. She was like, but why are you encouraging me to do this, mama? Like if we're supposed to be, you know, and she knew that we had been eating chocolate all day. And I actually stopped because I was like, you know what? Like, why am I trying to encourage her to do something she doesn't want to do but also she's confused because it's different from what I had been telling her and so I think that you know Glennon kind of represents that you know part in all of us where we you know I think we can you can be consistent until you're not and you know maybe there's this like you know ebb and flow this back and forth and and, you know maybe that that's just a a Mm -hmm. struggle that we all have you know, that struggle is real in terms of kind of staying the, the straight and narrow. I, I have to take this book at face value. It's authentic, mm-hmm. despite that, you know, that she right. may have promoted her other book, you know. Well, um, yes. And Kirsten, I that really stood out to me. And I have to say when that part where basically she's promoting her other book, Love Warrior, and her family's falling apart. And, you know, she's she just been the therapist. Her husband's had all these affairs. It's all coming out. And she, I think, calls her sister and says she wants to cancel. And her sister says, well, it'll be a big deal. So then she says, I'll tell the truth, but with a slant. I did laugh out loud when I read this part because I think, like you just said with the example with your daughter, I feel like there have been times where I've, you know, written things or promoted some aspects of my business life that have probably not been as authentic. So I feel like, okay, I understand that we've all been there, but I have some friends who didn't finish it and they felt like that really showed that she was inauthentic and they wonder, well, okay, what's the next book going to be? Is the next book going to say, okay, now I'm going it alone or, you know, what, because she has to keep evolving and, and book sales are important. So she needs to, to keep bringing in, in revenue. So that was one thing I grappled with, I guess. Yeah, I think we've all been there, right? We've all been there when we've maybe haven't been our um, true selves or we feel like maybe we've had to do something that we don't want to do because it is your livelihood, because your family's depending on you. You know, maybe that was her owning up to, I was in a desperate time and I didn't know what to do. And it wasn't authentic when I said wasn't authentic. 
but I had to do it because I was in survival mode. Yes. So now that she got through it, she can look back and be honest and candid about it and say, you know what? I was in survival mode and I don't even think she's apologizing for it. She, she basically was like that. It is what it is. Like, this is what happened. Yes. Um, And so I think if what we're reading in real time is at least, you know, her honesty, even if that honesty will change over time, yeah. You know, like I said, I have to, I have to take it at face value that she's being as transparent as she can be. And, I mean, this book is about her, so absolutely, um, yep. It's you her. know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, yeah. and I, I talked with one of my friends, and, and she'd email me a couple of thoughts that this book really resonated with her. And one thing she said was kind of what you just you were saying is that you have to feel what you feel, right? Let it burn when you're going through pain it's okay to feel it and accept it before you move on to the next stage before you can start the healing process a lot of times we're kind of trying to shove it away and tell ourselves okay we're fine we're fine but we haven't really accepted it and then that pain continues to pop up and I think that's what one point that she brings up that really resonates with people is you know feel it let it burn And then you're going to help yourself to heal and become a stronger version of yourself. And and I thought that that was really interesting. You know, like just to touch on what you were saying before in terms of like like letting yourself feel what you feel. There's this one part where she says, you know, she's talking about grief in particular. Mm -hmm. And she's like, perhaps the only thing that makes grief any easier is to surrender completely to it. When grief rings surrender, there is nothing else to do. The delivery is utter transformation. I I understand what she's saying in terms of kind of like feeling what you're feeling. Mm -hmm. I get what she's saying about like the, you know, surrender to it. Like you just have to like kind of fall into it. But I felt like that was also very counter to who she is, like, you know, to the type of person she is. But I think that that just goes back to her trying to find her own way through the emotions and through, um, you know, what life has to offer. If there was anything in the book that, I would take away and I would be like, you know, I really saw this, the line, we can do hard things. Mm -hmm. We can do hard things. We don't have to have answers for our children. We just have to be brave enough to trek into the woods and ask tough questions with them. We can do hard things. I would say if there was anything that truly resonated with me, like to like my soul with this book, like in there, this was probably it. Yeah. Like it was, it was this, because I do believe that. I do believe that as people and human beings, you know, I said this before that I think true success and growth comes from being uncomfortable and there is pain and suffering in life and it's not fun. And I'm not saying we should welcome it but I think we should acknowledge that as human beings we can do so many things and our bodies and our minds and our spirits are equipped to handle the hard things so I think having that having that belief like we can do hard things I think that in of itself was motivational and inspirational for me yeah absolutely no that's that's truthful I was also impressed that she wrote about the fact that she had cheated to get on the high school homecoming court. That is something that people, you know, and that showed what that still means. She described that, right? For more than a decade, you know, I have written and spoken openly about addiction, sex, infidelity, and depression. Shamelessness is my spiritual practice, yet I have never admitted to committing high school voter fraud to anyone. But my wife. <laughs> I mean, that was just, I mean, I think that was just funny and classic. It was but so I also funny. Think, it was so funny. But something else that we'd already touched on this, but you know, to underscore it is, is that, you know, how she's trying to pass on kind of a healthier lifestyle and yes. balance to her children. Because yes. yes. that cheating was because of a feeling of inadequacy, yes. and, you know, yes. self-esteem and all that. But then like, you know, I think with her children and again, not perfect, nobody's perfect, mm-hmm. but I think that, you know, she, she's trying, she talks about how she's trying to make her children better than she was. Yes. And there, so there, yes. there was this one part where she was giving like, you know, all these different talks that she has with her kids. And so she has this one where she has eight year old Tish, Carrie doesn't like me, you know, 38 year old me, why not? What happened? What can we do to make it better? So then fast forward, 12-year-old Tish, Sarah doesn't like me. 42-year-old me, okay, just a fact, not a problem. 12-year-old Tish, totally. And I actually love that. I actually like that because it showed the 
evolution and the growth for both of them. Yes. You know, that it's like, okay, so-and-so doesn't like me. And whereas at one point it is a problem, mm-hmm. once they maybe matured or evolved, it was like, it's fine. You yes. know, it's fine. She doesn't have to like you for you to be you, for you to be you know, happy and safe and okay. So I think that those are some things, her own evolution, but then also how she is parenting, you know, her kids. It was, it's interesting. I really liked that. That was probably my favorite part, especially even as I was reading it the second time, Kirsten, was how she's evolved as a parent and how she responds a little bit different, like we said, maybe with the cream cheese, maybe not perfect, but she's trying. It just shows that we're all trying to, to do better as parents. And when we screw up one time, you know what? It's okay. We get another shot. <laughs> get another opportunity. Yes. <laughs> you know, yeah. right? The next time you're in you know Hershey Pennsylvania you may not be like hey eat this Sunday like we we have another shot I follow her on Instagram and you know she, you know, she even has some fun, you know, stories on Instagram and it's very much like the book though. It's like, you know, there's some mm-hmm. days that are great and some days where she's like, I can't get out of bed. You know, there's some days where right, it's right. just kind of random stuff, you know, and that's just kind of life, right? Mm-hmm. And nothing's the same. But the one thing I, I wanted to also say about her parenting and and also, like you said, we get a second chance because that is the definition of unconditional love. Yes. You know, the love between a parent and a child. And so there might be some relationships where, you know, you screw up a couple of times and the person's like, you know what, I'm, enough of this. I don't have right. any more time for this piece out. But, you know, with, with our children, I think we have forgiveness. And I think that there's, especially when they're younger, like there is this unconditional mm-hmm. love that right. we have for each other. And I think, of course, as we grow older and get into adulthood, you know, the relationship between a parent and child changes. You had brought up what your your bookshop owner had said when you were getting this book. And when I had gotten the book from my bookstore owner here in central Ohio, she describes it as feminism in the age of anxiety. Because Glennon talks so much about the anxiety she's facing and raising the kids in this kind of age of anxiety. I thought that was interesting too, because I hadn't really thought about it in that way but she talks about you know taking medicine she's very candid about that and I think that's a I think a real and honest conversation that a lot of women and mothers you know are having now is is that I think before we would try to mask our anxiety you know just you know whether it's because like oh we have to be perfect or we have to do this or we just have to get through the day and I think now there is a more open and honest um, dialogue about, no, this is hard mm-hmm. and we're dealing with anxiety. And so I went to Hershey, you know, it was a girl's trip with my daughter, but we went with a friend and her daughter. And you know what, like I, one of the things I really appreciate about my friendship with this particular friend is that we can be honest with each other. And, you know, if we're having a difficult moment, be like, I'm just feeling anxiety right yeah. now. You know, we, yeah. we just say it. And there's no like, oh my God, is everything okay? It's like, you know what? I understand, you know, sure. you, you know, go for a walk or right. take a break or get a cup of coffee. It's, it's this true understanding because we're not trying to hide it. Mm-hmm. You know, we're just being real about it. And so I think part of Glennon, I think part of her narrative is just being open and candid and honest about how she is, who she is. And I think your bookstore owner is right. I think that there's feminism, Mm -hmm. but it's not at, you know, it's, there's a cost to it as well. Like Mm -hmm. we all are dealing with things, you know, hard things, emotions, anxiety for sure is one of them. And if anything, it's just, it's, it's now a more open, candid, transparent and honest dialogue about what it means to be a woman and a mother, you know, just like a parent too, right, you know, just right. in this day and age. This is one of those books, to be quite candid. I think I've enjoyed our conversation more than I enjoyed reading it. And it's interesting. One of my book clubs will be talking in a few weeks. I'm really curious to, to sit in a room with a, with a bunch of people and get um, more reactions. So now we get to come to one of my favorite points of the show where we get to do an everyone hated it but me. If there's a book that you maybe feel like didn't get as much attention or even a couple books that you would love to to share that you think maybe other people should should check it out 
<laughs> fun. So, I mean, so interestingly enough, like I went from Untamed into a book that I think had a very similar objective in terms of self-help, but okay. in a very different way. It was Mark Manson's The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I actually think that he kind of, he tackles it differently and he mm-hmm. brings a lot of personal stuff into it, but not like Glennon does. Like, you know, Glennon is fully raw and this is like you know about you know it's kind of like self-help using her as the subject he is uh, he's different I think what he you know he talks about in the book resonates with me because like even for example and this is where one of the you know parents if you have kids in the room and you're playing this without headphones you know (laughs) maybe scoot them away the one of the things that he just says that you know he's like um For decades, we've been told that positive thinking is the key to a happy, rich life. But those days are over. Positivity. So let's be honest. Sometimes things are fucked and we have to live with it. And so for me, I was like, thank you, Mark. Can we just like say it? You know, yeah, like this is sometimes this is just the way it is. And guess what? Like that's life and we have to deal. And it doesn't mean that you just kind of succumb to it. But he's like, it is what it is. So what do you do, you know, to power through it? So his book, I, for me, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't go as far as to say that it was life changing Mm -hmm. as much as it was more insightful for me. But I also think that he is somebody who, um, I think that he is someone who kind of speaks to me more than Glennon. Sure. You know, he had more of like, I mean, even some of what I was saying before about how life is full of suffering. It's a matter of what you want to suffer for. That's directly from Mark. Okay. You know, that's, okay. You know, he, he talks about it. And I was like, it's true because, you know, if we're, if we're running, if we're going through life trying to run from pain mm-hmm. and suffering, we're going to fail miserably. And his point is, is that, you know, there's going to be pain, but make sure it's worth it. You know, like if we think think about his labor, you know, child labor, Mm -hmm. like, you know, childbirth, you know, the pain is worth it. Mm -hmm. You know, you go through it, you have a child. So I feel like he had the same thing. And, you know, he talks about how you can't change some things. You can't change some people. Right. Um, Right. Like he, he had a thing on his Instagram the other day where it was like, you know, you're not going to change a narcissist no matter how hard you try. Just Mm -hmm. run, run and get away from it. Um, But I, so I. So I actually, I actually appreciated his take on it, you know, but it, and it had a very similar objective, mm-hmm. I think, to Glennon's in terms of, you know, trying to find, help you find your way and, right. um, yeah. and more clarity of thought. How's his format? Is it similar to Glennon's and Untamed? Is it kind of just these random, somewhat random chapters and stories? It's more connecting. Okay. He definitely, like, I would actually go as far as to say Glennon has a bit more of a stream of consciousness approach. Yeah. I think Mark is very, like, you know, deliberate. Okay. He actually has an argument, and then he has reasoning, and he has evidence. Kind of a and beginning, then, a middle, and an end, if you will, right? A little more. Yeah, he has a point to make, and he goes about not just, he goes about making the point, but then also proving the point. Mm-hmm. And yeah. his second point. His second book, which I thought, I thought it was good, not as good as the first, but Everything is Fucked, a book about hope. He actually has an entire, like his note section is, oh my gosh, I don't even know how many pages. It's all just footnotes. Oh, about, wow. Okay. Yeah, just like, I mean, pages and pages of um, footnotes, you know, that are referencing, you know, where things were said, how they were said. He goes a lot into psychology. He goes a lot into philosophy. Oh, Wow. And he really, like, I mean, it's not just about, like, hey, listen, like, you know, I'm saying this, I believe it, mm-hmm. so you should believe it, too. He's like, I'm saying this, but it was also based on something, and here's the reference, so that way you can go check it out yourself. Um, so, yeah, he's a very, very different approach um, to the, um, you know, to being, like, um, more inspirational. Mm-hmm. And, um, he was basically saying, okay, we have so much anxiety now because... We don't have enough to fight for. He's like, think about it. He's like, back in like the caveman days, mm-hmm. you would have to forage and fight. And like, and if you didn't, you didn't eat or you got killed. He's like, now as human beings, like, you know, most of us, like, you know, so obviously, you know, we're talking about like the majority and, and folks who are not food insecure or, right. you know, in, in, in destitute or impoverished conditions. But the majority of us can walk into our grocery store. We can go to Amazon. Mm-hmm. We can basically get whatever we want within 24 hours. If I know for, you know, New York City, less than 24 mm-hmm. hours, you know, if it's, um, 
nothing too, too crazy. He goes, basically the world is at our fingertips. We have the most accessibility, um, health, you know, and success and wealth than we ever had. So his point is like, so why is everyone so effing miserable? Yeah. And why yeah. is anxiety, you know, through the roof? And he's like, because we've lost, you know, that we've lost the thing to fight for. And I actually thought that was, that for me was very insightful. I was mm-hmm. like, this is true. And he actually made the, the point that what makes people feel good is solving problems. He said, if you have a problem to solve, he's like, tackle it. And he goes, you will feel better. And I just, I was like, oh, that just made so much sense to me because it's true. Wow. Like, you know, and we're, you know, as human beings, we're always going to have problems, but mm-hmm. he's like, you know, tackle them. He's like, solve them. He's right. like, don't run away, run towards them. He goes, and you will feel better. And so, so for him, like for his book and his points and how he uh, was more of a, I have a point to make, let me mm-hmm. argue it, but also give you evidence and facts yes. and footnotes. Right. Like it's, it, it was more. It was more real. Um, yeah. a, a more realistic, I think, um, depiction. Approach. Okay. Yeah, a, approach to life that I identified with more than I identified with Lennon. No, oh, that's interesting. That that makes sense. Do you have any other books that you wanted to mention, or do you? Well, um, the Anna Green Gables series is really awesome. My daughter and I have been reading it for the past like two years. We doubled down on it during COVID because Excellent. we could. Yes. <laughs> so if you have any young girls, I would say Anna Green Gables. It really stands the test of time, you think, correct? Yes, it does. Yes, I do too. I do too. Yes. Yeah. Because it's, it's, it does. Yeah. I bet yeah, that was a yeah. treat. And did you read those as a kid too? So rereading them with your daughter has probably been a real treat. So I actually did not read them as a kid, oh, okay. but I, I love the movies. Yeah. So, or, or like the series, you know, that came out, um, you know, like, what was it back in like the, the late eighties. Mm-hmm. And so I loved that. So for me, it was actually fun to read them nice. um, as an adult, you know, with that history. And I'm pretty sure my daughter isn't going to remember the stories at all. But True. I know she loves the time we spend together. Mm-hmm. So so it's nice because those books are fun. They definitely stand the test of time. There's like an innocence that's to them. They're, nothing really bad happens. Yes. You know, it's nothing crazy. It's not like, you know, serial killers or, Correct. you know, awful things are coming to hunt you. It's, you know, it's, it's a very safe and kind of joyful series so we've been about a spunky girl you know about a spunky fun really inquisitive kid who was a bit of an outcast Mm -hmm. at first right yes she was you know the redheaded you know orphan Mm -hmm. who had some self-confidence issues yeah yeah who didn't have a place and she found her place and then and so now it's interesting because we're now in the later part of the series. We're in the we're in the last three. Oh, where is she? Yes, older, like closer to teenage years and late teens. Well, in this, in this part of the series, no, she's a mother. Oh, and, oh my gosh! So what, okay. So, so what happens is that it flips from her, you know. So she starts off with her as a child. Like so this is the series in total. They're like about I think eight or eight or nine books. Okay. You know, and it goes from her as a child to her then you know her teenage years to her then going to college and then becoming a school teacher, and so then she marries Gilbert, and then yes. now yeah. what, what's happened in these books is they've actually flipped the narrative to her children's point of view. Oh, see, I don't think I'd read all of those. Okay. That's yeah, that's so- really fascinating. Yes, absolutely. No, I I think that's one that um, kids nowadays would would love, and I think it's it's a lovely story. It is. I know that there's so many books out there, but I'm trying to go a little bit off the beaten path. So yeah. Well, I. I enjoyed the discussion because I actually think I enjoyed Untamed probably more than I thought I did. Yes. (laughs) After discussing with you, I still stand by like my original opening statement that uh, I didn't, I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it. But I think that there were plenty of parts that I appreciated. I actually appreciated her vulnerability Mm -hmm. and her transparency. I think I did, you know, probably get out of it a little bit more than I was giving it credit for. I think so, too. I I think I did, too. And I think as I was going through my reread, I I felt like I probably appreciated it a little bit more for me. I really appreciate you being on the show. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, no, thank you so much, Lisa, for having me on. This was a great deal of fun, so... 
I hope, you know, for whatever it's worth, <laughs> you know, I'd actually love to hear if any of the listeners have any, you know, adverse reactions and be like, Kirsten, you're crazy. Like, this is amazing. <laughs> or, you know, be like, well, are you sure? Because I, I love a good, I love a good dialogue about books and literature and and about just about anything. So uh, thank you for having me. Me too. Welcome to the after show. And again, I want to thank Kirsten Planner so much for coming on the show and talking about Untamed. We had such a delightful and insightful conversation about this book. Honestly, as I said, I really enjoyed discussing the book even more than I, I did reading it. As I had mentioned, one of my book clubs did chat about this book after Kirsten and I recorded the show. And that book discussion was really phenomenal as well. One of the best ones we've had. I want to thank all of you for listening to this show. This is a one-woman podcast. I read all the books, write, produce, and edit everything from my central Ohio home. If you'd like to support the show, please subscribe on Apple iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'd love it if you'd consider telling your friends and relatives about my show. That would really help. And if you would consider a five-star rating, that would especially help. And if you have a super popular book that you read, and you didn't love, and you would like to come on the show and chat about it, please reach out to me on my website. My website is www.everyoneloveditbutme.com. I have show notes for every episode, and you can find links of the books that we discussed on those show notes. I've also chosen to affiliate with bookshop.org, which is an online bookstore similar to a really big one that I think you guys have all heard about. But this one has a mission to support local independent bookstores, which is really important to me. So any purchases you make of the books we discuss will support this mission. And I also receive a teeny tiny compensation as well. That's another way you can help support the show. I thank you so much for listening today. I hope you have an excellent day. And most importantly, I hope you have time to read today.